Grace, mercy, and peace be with you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So the joke that I always tell my girls, and I think I probably picked it up from either my dad or my grandfather, who are also big jokers, is the joke about Groundhog Day. That if the groundhog comes out and it sees its shadow and goes back in its hole, there'll be six more weeks of winter. But if it doesn't, it'll only be six weeks until spring. It works in Canada because it just doesn't really seem to matter what happens with the groundhog. We are going to be in the snow until at least the middle of March. But how did we get this Groundhog Day thing? Well, the interesting thing about Groundhog Day is like so many of the things that our culture does here and now, it has its roots in the Christian faith. So probably, I would guess, in another 50 to 100 years, unless the Lord sees fit to revive faith in our land, people will be dancing around Christmas trees and watching the visit of Santa Claus and have no memory at all of why we do any of these things, much like Groundhog Day. You see, it all started with setting the date for Christmas. We didn't always celebrate Christmas as Christians. We were very much focused on Good Friday and Easter Sunday because that is the core and essence of our faith, the crucifixion of Jesus for the salvation of the world and his rising again from the dead as our justification and the promise of eternal life. But around about the 4th century, in the early 300s, people decided that it would be a good thing if we want to emphasize that Jesus is, in fact, not just the Son of Mary, but also the Son of God, to celebrate his nativity. And so December 25th was set, around the time of the Council of Nicaea, in which St. Nicholas played an important role. It also happened to coincide very closely with the winter solstice, the time when the days stop getting shorter and start getting longer. So people remember the words of John the Baptist, that he must increase, I must decrease. And that pinned John the Baptist's birthday six months later on June 24th at the summer solstice, when the days start getting shorter and the nights get longer. Now, December 25th being set... People start counting off from there when we celebrate different days. So January 1st, New Year's Day, becomes also the, need, the day of the circumcision of Jesus. Eight days after December 24th in the evening. And 40 days after December 25th is today. The day when Mary comes to the temple to go through the rites of purification also happens to be halfway between the winter solstice and the spring equinox. Remember that, it's going to be important in a minute. But back to Mary. What is this whole business of purification? Why did she have to go to the temple 40 days after having birth to Jesus? Well, it all goes back to the law of Moses. As Luke points out in our gospel reading, all of this was done to fulfill the law of the Lord. Leviticus chapter 12 writes, If a woman conceives and bears a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days. As at the time of her menstruation, she shall be unclean. And on the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. 
Then she shall continue for 33 days in the blood of her purifying. She shall not touch anything holy, nor come into the sanctuary, until the days of her purifying are completed. And when they are, whether for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting a lamb, a year old, for a burnt offering, and a pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering. And if she cannot afford a lamb, this is very important, then she shall take two turtle doves or pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement for her, and she shall be clean. Two turtle doves, if you can't afford a lamb. Mary didn't have a lamb with wool as pure as snow. But she did have two turtle doves, which meant we get a little indication of the place of the family, but we also get an indication of God's sense of planning because the lamb has already come to the temple. It just happens to be in the arms of his mother. And when she comes to the temple and Joseph comes to the temple and they go through all this ritual, they got to go and pick up the two turtle doves. They got to bring them up there and they got to go through this ritual. There's somebody waiting to greet them that they don't know, but who's been waiting for them. And his name is Simeon. And he's been told by God that he will not die until he sees the Lord's Christ. And however it happens, when he sees this baby coming up the steps, it becomes a musical, which is most of Luke's gospel, honestly. It's a musical gospel. But he sings this song to these parents, holding baby Jesus in his hands, and says, O Lord, now let your servant depart in heavenly peace, for I have seen the glory of your redeeming grace, a light to lead the Gentiles unto your holy hill, the glory of your people, your chosen Israel. Which, of course, we're going to sing just a few moments, as we do every Sunday, when we are about to also receive Christ into our hands and into our mouth. But this is the first time it's sung. And it's sung by Simeon, I think, looking into the eyes of Jesus. O Lord, now let your servant depart in heavenly peace. But here's the key for this morning, if you're following along thus far. We've got from Christmas to February 2nd to the temple to this rite of purification, and now Simeon singing a light to lead the Gentiles unto your holy hill. Light. So, we have the medieval church that is now also celebrating the purification of Mary. They have added that to the number of feast days that they celebrate during the year. This is the day that Mary comes to the temple. But connected now with that ritual is the coming of the light to the Gentiles. And if you're in Europe, and it's February, and it's cold, and it's dark, what do you use to chase the shadows away? Not those things, because we don't have that yet. And not gas, because we don't have that yet either. All we've got is candles. And lots of them. Candles on the sidewalls, candles around the altar, Paschal candle lit at Easter time, 
Candles for people to hold if they come to an evening service. Candles all over the place. And so February 2nd became known as Candle Mass. Christmas and now Candle Mass, the day when we come and bless all those multitudes of candles that we're going to use in the church. So far, so good. We've gotten to the candles, and you're probably all sitting there thinking, okay, when's the groundhog coming? How, how do we get to this thing? Well, we're, we're on our way there. Because up until this point, everything seems very Christian, right? This is all about biblical accounts. This is all about Jesus. It's all about Mary. It's all about salvation. But now things take a turn back into the superstitious. If candle mass be fair and bright, come winter, have another flight. If candle mass bring clouds and rain, go winter and come not again. It's a little popular poem that was said in Europe. And along with that poem came the belief that all creation somehow woke from its deep slumber to recognize the coming of its Lord into his temple, including bears and badgers. And the Germans, being already sort of a halfway between Jesus and Thor kind of people, start wondering about what might happen to a badger if he comes out during candle mass. And it is not fair and bright, but in fact cloudy and rainy. Might that badger then go back into his hole if it's sunny, or stay out if it's not? And next thing you know, we have the badger coming to the United States where there really aren't enough badgers to make a go of it, and so he becomes a groundhog when the German immigrants show up in Pennsylvania and becomes the predictor of whether or not we have six more weeks of winter or six weeks until spring. So what's the point of all this? Okay, it's cute, it's fun, it's interesting. You can amaze your friends now at work tomorrow and say, do you know the true origin of Groundhog Day? And do you know that it all started with Jesus coming to the temple as the light to the nations? This is true. But the more profound message for you and for I sitting here is about the power of idolatry and superstition. That we can take things that are so precious and holy and good and reasonable and profitable for instruction and for our souls and turn them into things that have absolutely nothing to do with Jesus. From the coming of our Lord to the temple to a furry animal showing up out of a hole on February 2nd. But this is what we do as humans. We take things that are good and right and salutary and we twist them. And we turn them into things that have nothing to do with God at all. But are amusing. They're fun. They're entertaining. But they're not Christian. Deb rewatched the movie Groundhog Day yesterday. It's become part of our culture, at least for people of a certain age, which would be me, would be my wife. Maybe some of you who are younger are even familiar with the Groundhog Day meme. This idea of a man who is sent to Punxsutawney in Pennsylvania to track the groundhog. And he hates this job. It's the worst part of his job that he has to go and like pretend like this is fun to see if Punxsutawney Phil is going to come out of his hole or not. And he goes to bed that night only to wake up the next day and find out that it's still Groundhog Day. 
And it happens over and over and over again. This is sin. It's how it works. We think we've cleared up the idolatry and refocused everything on Jesus, and bam, the next thing you know, we're back down into it again. It is precisely the devil's temptation to all of us that we keep making the same mistake over and over and over again, hitting the alarm clock and waking up and saying, here I am again, a sinner. How did this happen? And how is it that we continue over and over and over again to make the creature the idol and forget the creator? As Paul writes in Romans, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. Candles. Groundhogs. So we are without excuse. But although they knew God, they did not honor him as God, Paul writes, or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened, and claiming to be wise, they became fools, exchanging the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals, groundhogs, and creeping things. Candlemas started as such a good idea until it became idolatry and became Groundhog Day. And nobody even remembers now the purification of our Lord's Mother. We start with the Creator and we end up worshiping the creature over and over and over again. Groundhog Day, in the spiritual sense. There is only one creature whom we worship. Only one. And it is the man who is also the Son of God. That is who we worship. As the writer of Hebrews says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to life long slavery. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest and make propitiation for the sins of the people. Or as Paul writes to the Colossians, Jesus has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God. The word image in Greek is icon. He is the only icon we have of God. The only creature that we actually join in worshiping. And that's precisely why there was a commandment that said, you shall not make graven images. You shall not have any other gods before me precisely because God knew he was going to give us an image of himself, not in a bird or a flame or a cloud or a groundhog, but in his own beloved son. 
because he had in mind to give us the one image in creation to worship, the one who redeemed and purified Mary, just as he redeems and purifies us. Mary and Joseph's trip to the temple echoed a trip that was made over and over and over again. I have to imagine that for some of the priests in the temple, it was like Groundhog Day. Here comes another mom. All right, this is a two-turtle-dove process. Oh, this one's a lamb and a turtle-dove. Add it all down to a science. But it was repetitious. There didn't seem to be an end to the cycle. Another mother, another sacrifice. Until this baby showed up on the temple steps. Because this baby who was destined for the rising and falling of many in Israel was destined to replace the temple itself, and he would be, from now on, the light to the nations. He came to break the cycle, to say no more, no more over and over and over again, no more repeat, repeat, repeat. There will be a day when we will rise sinless from our graves, and there will be no more need to repeat confession and absolution. There will be a day when the dead will rise from death and there will be no more death. There will not be a need to go through this birth and death cycle anymore. And the reason why that cycle has been broken is because of this baby brought to the temple by Mary. The one who said to John, Behold, I make all things new. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.